Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode six, Act of Vengeance from 1986. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this movie is kind of crazy and wonderful. I don't know if it's necessarily a good movie, but it's one of the most fun movies that we've done so far, because it's like just bananas from top to bottom. This is our first made-for-cable, made-for-HBO movie, so it's it's R-rated, but it's also got that made-for-TV feel to it. It's nuts. It's heavy. It's dramatic, but not not entirely well-made, but just turned out to be <laughs> way more fun than I was expecting. It's also based on a true story, which I think took a little bit longer to get to in Cage Club. I mean, we had The Boy in Blue. That was uh, based on a true story. I don't remember there being early on in Cage Club, but based on a true story, I don't think unless i'm forgetting something maybe maybe the cotton club possibly partially perhaps inspired by the actual club but not revolving around any story the way that boy in blue was so here we are based on a book based on a true story so it's a twofer the movie is basically fargo trapped in a weird corrupt small town political brouhaha basically there's these coal miners in the beginning of the movie i think like one mine collapses or there's like a cave-in or something happens Mm -hmm. and there's like all this talk about whether or not they should rescue the miners and what they do is they decide to cut off the oxygen and so like 80 miners down there die and that's like the first 10 minutes of the movie so after that the coal miners want to unionize so now the whole movie is now like this political race between Charles Bronson and Wilford Brimley, which is as amazing as that sounds, trying to figure out who's going to be the next president of the Coal Miners Association so they can have the rights that they think that they deserve. So I picked up a little bit of a different story than you did, uh, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. I I saw it that the union was already established and Wilford Brimley was running it, but he was in the pocket of big coal. The company, the corporation. That seems fair. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think we're about we're we're about in the same place. Okay, yeah. So we're pretty close. Yeah, and so Charles Bronson is the man of the people who's going to start. He's right. going to stand up and fight for the rights of the coal miners and everything. While Bill Brimley is just going to be a fat cat collecting kickbacks and using thug tactics to keep his presidency intact. Definitely. Yeah, I I agree with that. Maybe the way that we got there is a little bit different. But yeah, so basically, Charles Bronson is like the people's hope. He's the one who cares about them. He's the one who aligns with their vision. And Wilford Brimley is this corrupt, hate to put his pun on his way, but like, you know, like a fat cat, I think, like you said, just this guy who's in power, seems like he's probably been in power for a while has all the connections, and just really doesn't care about the coal miners. And he's a super bigot as well. He, oh my god. Right? Like, uh, Bronson plays a Polish guy, and several times throughout this, like, there's lots of just white-on-white hate, you know? It's very surprising. <laughs> I was kind of, like, taken aback by it a little bit, but he, he really trashes on the other people around him, and he's a very contemptuous man, and so I'm rooting for Bronson. It's funny. <laughs> Usually, Charles Bronson is out there with a gun getting ready Retribution and stuff like Death Wish and things like that. I'm more used to it. And this was very different Charles Bronson than I was used to. He's much more contained in this movie. He's like 
he's like mild mannered. He's almost like yeah. unrecognizable because he's so like meek. Like he doesn't really do anything. I feel most of the movie is him just sort of watching TV with his wife. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's weird. Like he's not really doing anything. Meanwhile, Wilford Brimley is nailing every line reading. Like he is acting so hard. He, <laughs> there's some quotes written down. He's like, "It's my union." And he shouts, me! And then, like, real quietly says, Tony Boyle. And then he's talking about how he can snap, like, with one snap of his fingers, he can just have a guy killed or whatever. It's like, snap, and it's gone. You just can't get it through your head, can you? This is my union. Me, Tony Boyle. You don't believe it? Go out in the hall, walk up and down, and bring me one picture of Jackie Oblonsky. You can't. You never will. It's my union. Me! Tony Boyle, I can take you down, jockey boy, and don't forget it, I can strip you of your fucking office and everything you got, and all I gotta do is snap my fingers. You got it? Snap. And it's gone. He calls Charles Bronson a goofy Polak, and that he's going to make a statement, but it ain't going to be to a bunch of goddamn fairies at the newspaper. I'm like, like this is all in one scene. Like, all these quotes <laughs> are within, like, two or three minutes of each other. And I don't know what's going on. I, like, it took a while to sort of have me catch up with the plot. But I just was enjoying it so much because he was just going for it. And it was working. And that's what I mean by fun. It's not a fun plot or story, or it tries to be a very serious movie, but it's just like the acting and the writing, all of it just made me laugh about it because <laughs> like you said, Wilford Brimley, I know him as a respectable good guy, and in this, right. he's a despicable bad guy. And so all my expectations are flip-flop. I feel like the two main actors would have played each other's role, and that they're stretching to play against their type in this movie, and it's throwing me off and it's getting me to laugh where maybe I shouldn't be and right. plus Charles Bronson doesn't have his mustache in this movie so that's driving me crazy too I didn't even recognize him for the first <laughs> 10 minutes this this thing is just driving me nuts but like what's even more nuts is that as crazy and over the top and sort of like this bad guy like loose cannon that Wilford Brimley is there's this other guy who is the getaway driver I guess for the hitman that Wilford Brimley hires to kill Jack Leblonsky, which is Charles Bronson's character, which, oh yeah, by the way, Wilford Brimley hires like two separate sets of goons to go kill Charles Bronson. Twice in this movie, he's just hiring people. And the first time he goes, he hires this like getaway driver who I think the first time we see him, maybe he's kind of like sleep raping his wife or his girlfriend or a fiance or something. Like she's laying in bed and he's just trying to get her going and she's not responding, but he goes like a little bit too long and it's real uncomfortable. And then he goes out to the kitchen where her son is, and it's clear that he's not his father, but he's like trying to be this father figure. And he just talks about how the kid has no ambition and he's got no hope. He's just like eating the kid's donuts and just like talking down <laughs> to the kid and criticize what he's watching on TV. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then he says, I think I heard him say in that scene, 
I'm as shrewd as a Jew at business. Yep. And I was like, what? I'm like, what is this? Like, yeah. What is going yeah. on? Dude, and the little kid even tosses around the N-word in that sequence, right? <laughs> Something about their neighborhood. I mean, I am so confused by this plot line because it just comes out of nowhere, this threat. I think we see them at a bar at some point earlier, and his wife is sort of getting hit on by another guy a little bit in the corners. But uh, his wife is Ellen Barkin. And Bronson's wife is Ellen Burstyn. Right. And that isn't helping either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, they're both blonde. They should be playing mother and daughter. They're not. They're not. They never have a scene together. Like, I just don't know what's going on with this movie. This boyfriend plot line is just throwing me for such a loop. And then this guy takes his not son to some restaurant diner and starts showing him like i'm a gun runner check this out like aren't i cool like i sell guns yes i feel like his whole storyline is only in the movie to give it that hbo edge because i think a little bit later he's the one who like he's like forcing i guess it's ellen barkin to go down on him and he says to her, you've never done this for anyone else, right? And she's just like, no. After we cut back to it, he's just like, baby, that was so amazing. He's like, starts pushing her head down again. It's like, what? Like this is. I think they just want HBO sexiness. I don't know, because like, there's no reason for us to know this much about the getaway driver. <laughs> like, we need to know that he fails on the first set of goons, which we see happen. And that's all we need to know. We don't need to know about his personal life or about his girlfriend or her son or whatever. It's just way too much weird information. Especially since the connection to the main plot is so loose. Wilford Brimley, it's so funny. He's like, in one scene, he's like, well, I think we're going to have to kill someone. And in the next scene, they're like, let's kill Charles Bronson. And, and then in the next scene, they're hiring out the job. And so the getaway driver actually gets the opportunity from his wife's dad, who's connected to the union, who is on the Wilford Brimley side. It's just so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to follow for me at this point, how this is just the loosest connection. And they're just, they're talking about murder in the most casual manner I've ever seen in a movie before right. in my entire life. The guy comes over the house and tells his daughter, you're going to have to convince your husband to kill someone for me. And she's like, sure thing, <laughs> daddy, no problem. And he comes in and he's like, what are you doing here? Want me to kill someone for you? And he's like, matter of fact, I do. He's like, I knew it. Kill It's like <laughs> killing people. Yeah. Like, what is happening? <laughs> What's also weird is that not only do they like downplay the actual talk about murder, but there's that one guy, Claude, who I think is one of the hitmen that goes with Keanu at the very end of the movie. Or maybe it's one of the guys the first set of Hitman. I don't really know, because the only Hitman I know is the getaway driver and Keanu, who shows up with like 10 minutes ago in the movie. The yeah. fat guy who shoots his own girlfriend. <laughs> right, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, Claude, I don't know if he's in the first group or the second group, but he's just playing with a gun and just sort of messing around. And I don't think he means to kill her, but she's like bringing the groceries in. She's like, could you help me? And then he just shoots her. And she dies. <laughs> just like, what? Like, that has nothing to do with anything. I guess that must have happened in real life, because as we, saw, we yeah. talked about earlier, based on a true story. So, but, so I guess that's why, that's why they showed it. But I don't know. It's just so weird. I don't know if they're trying to stretch for time or if they're trying to just extend characters and give them more moments so that we feel for that. It's like, I don't. I don't know what is happening. Like, what's, what's going on with Charles Bronson in the election? <laughs> Who are these people? Here's the thing. The movie just doesn't prepare you to schism like this. It doesn't really set up 
two storylines. Uh, it actually starts off with this kid going down to the mine and there's an explosion. And at first you kind of think the movie's going to be about this kid who has to go to work in the mines like his old man and that. But no, then he dies in the explosion and the movie becomes about this struggle for control of the union and everything like that. And then it becomes a murder plot another 30 minutes into the movie. So it keeps just jumping. Like the pace never lets up, but I don't know. It just, I, I don't know if the movie even like really cares if you follow it or not. I think it's just trying to be entertaining. Like, I don't think it's trying to be good. It's almost like what we ran into with Cage Club a lot. You know, they're trying to adapt this book into a movie, and the movie's only 90 minutes long. And I feel like there's just too much ground to cover. And they're just trying to pick the things that are the most sort of sexy for TV, either in terms of violence or actual sex. And they're just throwing it together, and they don't really care how it turns out as long as they put together like an entertaining package. I think you nailed it right on the head. This is an exploitation film about union. I mean, <laughs> it's as action-packed and thrilling as a union movie could possibly be, right, With without an explosion. That's like the one thing it's probably missing. Well, no, because it has an explosion. It just happens underground in a mine. So I feel like this is more made by people who want to make an action movie or something more in line with that than a seriously toned-down drama about the politics of the the unions and yada yada you know because it's kind of boring like i don't know if you could actually just maybe that's it you kind of can't sustain an hour and a half long movie about running a campaign for union presidency you have to add all this side stuff with the murderers building them up a little more you're right that it seems like the people making this movie were just given this movie and they wanted to make the movie that they wanted to make around it. And they didn't care if that fit in yes. terms of the genre or the story or whatever. It just, we want to make an action movie. We're like, this is the movie that we want you to make. We're like, all right, we're just going to make this into an action movie just because we can. That's how it feels. Like, there's such big things that happen in the middle of this movie. Nothing comes of it. Wilford Brimley sends the first group of hired guns to kill Charles Bronson. The two guys get out, and they go up to the door. I don't know if they have a plan or not. It doesn't feel like they have a plan. Uh, yeah, it seems like they're just going to ring the doorbell and shoot him and then, like, run away. <laughs> That's but they like, don't. The plan. Like, they just sort of, like, act like... Like, it's like a long con or something. And I guess that's why the driver gets antsy, because they didn't go along with whatever plan. And so that's when the guy who is this jerk of a guy who sleep rapes his wife, he just, like, peels out. And Charles Bronson writes down his license plate, which is how they eventually get caught in the end. The two goons are just there all of a sudden at his house, and they don't try anything. And then they just run away. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, that's, that's all right. And then they have the election for the coal miner president of like the, the union and Wilford Brimley wins in like a landslide. I think the word that they use is it's like, it's a joke how big of a disparity there was. And so Charles Bronson opens up this investigation because he's like, there's no way I would have lost by this much. And so that's sort of when the cracks in the armor start to peel away and that we see that Wilford Brimley is this corrupt guy that sort of begins to come to light. But then as that's happening, then he hires the second group of goons to go kill Charles Bronson. And this is when our man Keanu Reeves shows up. And we waited 75 minutes into this movie, and he finally shows up with like 10 or 15 to go. Unlike in Letting Go, where Stereo Team had this other energy for the movie, he's matching Wilford Brimley. Like He's just like at that level. Like He's exactly fitting in with, I think, the craziness of this movie. And it just it's perfect. It's a great entrance. Yeah, it's totally awesome that he plays a hitman in this. He 
he's very intense. He's very intimidating. And for as short a time as he's on screen, I feel like he's entirely, completely formed as a character. It's crazy how well he fits into this movie, this situation. I was very surprised, and I'm surprised at how many roles he has early on are, are on this sort of darker side. He's just in the backseat of a car, and like we cut to him, and I feel like he's just talking when we open on him. Like, it's just, he's there. Like, he's a character, like you were saying, and he's just talking about how his mom was in a motorcycle accident while she was pregnant. Like, he shouldn't have been born. Like, he's just got, like, these lines. It's just, like, it's great. Like, he's just saying insane things, and they work. You know, my mother was in a motorcycle accident before I was born. She was out cold for two weeks. You know, it was a miracle I was born something like that. It's not the boast, but it shows I was meant for something special. Once we divide up that money, I'm gonna take you to, to like, ah, oh, fuck. Did either of you ever put your hand, I mean your whole fucking hand inside a lady? Listen, Sonny, I fucking shot my old lady and she didn't even press charges. Shit. And this is where, like I said before, this is where it feels like Fargo. Like, you have these, like, really colorful character villains just doing crazy things, and it's great. One thing I'll say about this movie is everyone's really committed to what they're doing. But I feel like everybody has found where they're supposed to play and they and they hit those marks. They're going to pull a Christmas night B&E and, you know, hashtag breaking and entering, you know, because he's done a few of those in, in his past already. And these guys are not going to fool around. And you're right. I do sort of get this Fargo vibe because they're, they're doing this incredibly, you know, they're going to commit murder, but yet they're sort of bumbling. So there's this almost there's almost this dark comedic slant to what's happening. But it's also very foreboding and this this is a very dark ending to this movie, and Keanu is heavily involved with this. But what I also sort of like to see is that he seems like the most competent of all the goons. I mean, we've seen him in a lot of things that he's in one step away. He was sort of like the wrong place at the wrong time. In Letting Go, he was just like this dumb stereo teen. Here he's like, you know, he's a little animated, a little excited, but he also seems like the most competent of this group of killers. And like, he's the only one with a plan. He's like, we're going to count to 10 and then we're going to all going to shoot at the same time. Otherwise, somebody's going to wake up and they're going to hear something. They count, but like that gets screwed up. Like, I don't know, like he just seems that he's like, there's like the progression in his career as an actor. He's more respected. He's more competent. He's a more fully fleshed out sort of adult character than he's been. And I mean, this is still the same within a year or two of all these other roles that we've talked about already. But I like seeing him as sort of not the man in charge, but sort of the man with the plan. You're right. He kind of becomes the leader in a way, he just naturally takes control of this situation. When they're waiting in the car or when they're driving up there, the guy says, you know, let's stop where we stop that time. And he's like, how many times have you guys taken this drive? And it turns out they've done this like seven or eight times. Like they could just they get really close and they just cannot pull the trigger any of those times. And Keanu's like sitting in the car and he's like, what are we waiting around for? You know, like, let's do this. The getaway driver guy, sleep rapey man, he's like, all right, I'll be here. And Keanu's like, no, no, man. Like, you're coming with, you know, <laughs> he, he, right? He's like, you're coming if we're going. Where are you going to be? I stay here. I always stay here. Uh-uh. Not tonight you don't. Claude told me about the time you pulled out and he nearly killed himself chasing you down. You come in like everyone else, or uh, it's no deal. And then when they get 
in the house he's like man i don't i don't kill women you know it's like i won't shoot girls and stuff but but he quickly flip-flops on that when he finds out he won't get paid if he doesn't do that and then they they do sort of screw up this count it is his idea though he's like let's coordinate this but when they screw it up he's the first one to kill someone right so he he actually initiates it he actually goes through with everything it's it's kind of like a funny like it, that's again you know going back to that Fargo feel like it's funny like you have these sort of bumbling idiots who can't even count to ten right that Keanu counts to ten and doesn't hear anything and then they count to ten and they don't hear anything and then Keanu's like all right I just gotta do it on my own and he just he's the first one to shoot and then the other guy like you know the fat guy his his gun jams and so Keanu goes in and like he's the only one I think who kills anybody like, he kills all three and he's just you know ruthlessly efficient. Because he sort of has to because these other guys are just total idiots. Yeah, he comes across like a real hitman where these guys are, are more amateur. And yeah, when he doesn't hear another gunshot go off, he bursts into the room and shoots Ellen Burstyn. Is it Ellen Burstyn? <laughs> yes, he shoots yes. Ellen Burstyn. And then uh, the other guy tries to use his machine gun, and it seems like he might have nicked Charles Bronson, but then Charles Bronson kind of claws his way up on the bed, and Keanu just gets that glory shot at the end where you're just staring down the barrel of his gun, and he yep. shoots Bronson twice to make sure. But as they're leaving, we, the camera cuts down to that note that Charles Bronson wrote about the car, about the plate, about the make, the model, the color. And so, in theory, that's what leads to their capture apparently like in real life like this is sort of depressing but i mean i guess it makes sense like they were killed on december 30th and their bodies weren't found till january 5th so they were just sort of laying there dead in that house for like a week they weren't found until their son ken who i think is one of the two who ultimately takes over for takes the mantle of his father's of charles bronson's behest or whatever and sort of becomes like this president of coal miners union He's the one who finds them. But like, the movie ends, and it's, it's sort of strange, but it's also kind of uplifting if there's like, a really dark moment, is that Yablonsky's two sons, Charles Bronson's two sons, are just like, hey, like, we want to follow in our dad's footsteps. Like, who's with us? And like, all the coal miners are with them. And so they ultimately take over the coal miners' union as president or co-president or whatever, and all the bad guys get punished. Like, it's sort of like a happy ending to like, a really dark, depressing story. That's why I don't really feel too bad about the laughs I had along the way, because I feel like the filmmakers might have realized how grim this could actually come out, and they may have tried to give it more of an upbeat, inspirational feeling to it with the Charles Bronson storyline and this ending here and the revelation that he actually did win the election. Corruption won this day, but we can win the war if we're all good and stick together, that kind of stuff. So at the end here, I kind of get the vibe of you should have had a good time as opposed to sitting there with a box of tissues or something. <laughs> The end sort of caught me off guard because I forgot this was based on a true story. But like as they're going through these slides of this is what happened to this, like Tony Boyle was defeated and Keanu was convicted of murder. And I'm like, this is like a weird like ending for a, like just like a fictional movie. Like, oh, OK, I guess we know where these characters wound up. I'm like, oh, wait, like this is based on a true story. Then it made more sense to me. But like the story is sort of it's almost too crazy to, re to really think that it actually happened. Fargo was supposedly based on true events or whatever. But who knows what that means? And that's sort of like a joke anyway. Here, like, it actually happened. 
which is just like insane. Yeah, I guess it's one of those truth is stranger than fiction situations in a way where you couldn't make this up, I guess. Uh, I'm sure certain liberties were taken at times, fleshing out characters or events. I mean, do we really know exactly what Keanu said if he, when he was talking about where he could fit his entire hand? Is that, you know, is the, is did he testify that he said that in the back seat, that character? We won't Jesus. know for sure. I knew this was based on a book because I saw that credit at the opening, but I didn't know right. this was based on a true events and that Bronson and everyone, they were playing real people who actually existed. I didn't know that until after watching the movie. So I also thought that this was sort of a American graffiti style fake. This is what happened to these people situation as well. I was like, oh, this is kind of unique. I <laughs> didn't see this coming. I want to sort of compare it to the other sort of crazy endings for the Cage movies that we talked about. But, you know, around this time in Cage's career, there was Birdie with this crazy ending. And I feel like it's a crazy ending, but not because the movie did like I had a crazy ending. It's just because like we forgot. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's almost like our fault that it's a weird ending. It is a little strange that I felt they would use the fictional character pictures at the end. I thought for sure if it was if it was real, maybe they should have used like the real guys photos at the end or something. I was expecting that, you know, I think that's what kind of threw me too, is that uh, show Wilford Brimley up there and like, he went to prison and died there. <laughs> oh man. Any last thoughts about Active Vengeance? I think that covered all my notes. I'm not sure that I have anything else left over that I want to cover. There's not too much Keanu in this. The Keanu that is in this is pretty wonderful though. The only thing I guess we should mention is this isn't exactly widely available. We both had to get VHS copies of this movie. I had to buy two VCRs for this to, to watch this movie. Apparently it's on YouTube, right, with poor sound. Yeah. There's a Region 2 DVD. Yeah. The VHS is, you know, it's it's not expensive. I think I got it for like under 10 bucks. I mean, yeah. it's not like, you know, it's too expensive. It's just, this isn't out there like, it's another one of those early Keanu movies that just isn't widely available. It's kind of fun. Like, I would say this and Youngblood, like, we've had two fun movies in a row. Yeah. Um, I, I would probably rather watch Youngblood again before watching this. Mm -hmm. But these are two movies in a row that I would recommend just because they're they're enjoyable. Like, I don't know if they're necess I don't know if this is necessarily a good movie. I don't think it's a good movie. Right. But I think it's fun to watch. Just, like, people are going so crazy <laughs> and acting so hard. And it just it's enjoyable for that regard. Uh, this is just, there's lots of great 1980s stuff going on in this film, which sure. I also think gives a lot of charm in retrospect to, to young blood. But there's the big wild hair on the women in this, the terrible taste in clothes that the men had. Wild stuff to remind you that this was made in the 80s. But I also <laughs> believe it's supposed to take place in 68 or 69. That was kind of thought. I was like, is this hair because it's the 80s or because it's the 60s? You know, I couldn't understand quite what was going on there. Just turned out to be a lot of fun. So recommend. Absolutely recommend. Next time up, we have Young Again, which is some World of Disney production or something. Like, this is on YouTube with Russian subtitles. This is out there. Another one that we have this weird, I don't know, it's just sort of hard to find. Like, it's just strange. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about a lot of these Keanu movies, but I'm excited. We're on a little bit of a roll, and I hope it continues. Yeah, I know a little bit about this, but I don't want to spoil anything. I think it'll be a lot of fun just to watch it and talk about it next time. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out facebook.com slash cageclub or cageclub.me to get all of our podcast information, find out all the podcasts on the network, do everything you want, get all everything you need, those two places. Check out facebook.com slash cageclub or cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. 
And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. We all take care of our own can here. You join the union, pay the fee. You don't ask questions, you're a brother of mine. Working for the company. Shows I was meant for something special.